Maybe you've been driving down the highway and you've seen a sign like this one uh, here that I saw coming back from Kansas City a couple of weeks ago. Under new management, and you know, part of the sign is like falling down and you look at the building and the building's still a dump. Uh, and, and, and everything, and you're going under new management, just putting up the sign. Isn't, isn't new management supposed to be about transformation? Putting up a sign isn't transforming. Uh, and, and maybe for some of you, this is maybe a picture, a little bit of your spiritual life. Maybe this is somewhere in your background. Maybe, maybe not recently. Maybe it is recently. You're just coming back into church, and you said, you know what? Some preacher at some point in time, he convinced me that heaven was better than hell, and all I have to do is pray this prayer, and I get heaven. You're like, I'm all in, right? I'm all in, if that's all, all that matters. And then week in and week out, months go by and years go by, and you look at your life and you go, well, if I'm supposed to be under new management and have new management, why is my life no different? Why is my life? Why do I look at my life and I, all I have is a sign on me, all I have is a label on me, but my life is no different. My life is still a dump. And maybe some of you here this morning are, are, are kind of feeling that way, but because you're in church and because you're around church people, you're like, I don't necessarily want to uh, admit this. See, this series is for that exact thing. So I'm glad you're here through this series and, and just joining us because our life is supposed to be different. Because when, when an extraordinary God intersects with an ordinary, or shall we even say dumpy life, because we've all been there, nothing stays the same. Nothing can stay the same. When an extraordinary God intersects with an ordinary life, nothing stays the same. And we're going to be looking at the first three chapters of Revelation. And Revelation 1 this morning, Revelation simply means the uncovering, the uncovering of Jesus. When Jesus lived 30 some odd years here on this earth, uh, he was fully man and fully God. However, however, as Philippians 2 say, some of you computer guys, computer guys will appreciate this. As Philippians 2 say, Jesus put, Jesus put his godness into the background of his operating system. You gamblers will, will understand it this way. He never played his God card. He didn't play his God card. For illustration, when, when, when uh, he was getting arrested, Peter, Peter had hidden a sword in his cloak, which that sounds uncomfortable to me, but I, you know, it doesn't describe that. But he pulls out his, his, his sword in order to save Jesus by cutting off one ear at a time. And what did Jesus say? Hey, Peter, put away your sword. Don't you know that I have tens of thousands of angels with their hand on their sword right now? That if I said sick them, they would be down here destroying this whole thing. Fellas, I, I didn't really say that. I was just tell telling you. No. He put away his God card. He didn't play his God card. But what Revelation is, is showing what it looks like that we have a Jesus that is fully God and fully man. And what does that mean for our life? It is un, uh, unveiling what it looks like for him to be fully God and fully man. And when we come underneath new management, when we come underneath new management, we have a new boss. That's the whole idea. And we hope that our boss transforms our life, transforms the culture, transforms the company. And what does it look like to follow this new boss, the boss, the, the best boss ever, but hopefully better than, than this boss here 
that says he's the world's best boss. Hopefully Jesus is better than him, right? You office people there. So what does it look like? What, what is the new, who does the new boss, boss look like? And Revelation 1 is about that new boss. We're not going to go into all of Revelation 1, some of the shorter format here that, that, that I like. I hope that you go away wanting more, wanting more. But where we're going to pick it up in a story is that Jesus showed up to a guy by the name of John. And, and, and John was one of his followers. When Jesus lived on the earth, John was one of his closest followers. John was a teenager when, when, when he was following Jesus, when Jesus lived on this earth. Now, this is about AD 90. So this is about 60 years later than when Jesus died and resurrected. So John, uh, you math majors out there, John is in his 70s, right? Teenager, 60 years, that's 70s, right? John was an old man. Some of you are like, hey, you little whippersnapper, you calling me an old man? Hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on, hold on. Life expectancy in that day was about 40. So he was 30 years beyond that. That would be like today, he's like 110 and uh, 100, 110. Nobody here is that unless you forged your birth certificate, all right? He's an old guy. He's an old dude. And you know what? The government didn't know what to do with him. The government doesn't know what to do with people that, that he preaches the gospel and they tell him to stop, but he preaches the gospel anyway. So because he keeps preaching the gospel, they try to kill him and he's 100, 100 years old and they try to kill him, but he just won't die. They don't know what to do with people like that. And so they, they exiled him to an island called Patmos. Just, just go there by yourself and just preach to yourself. And he's there on the island of Patmos. It says, on the Lord's day, worshiping God. And that's where we pick up the story, Revelation 1, 17. When I saw him, Jesus, I fell at his feet as if I were dead. This is guy speak for I fainted because no guy ever faints. He either loses consciousness or he falls at his feet as dead, right? No guy ever faints. But he laid his right hand on me, the, right, the hand of power, and says, don't be afraid. This boss, this boss is the comforter. The comforter. See, John sees this guy, this Jesus, who he followed while on here on earth. And because John knows that he has an ordinary life, and this God is extraordinary, that, 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 that he faints. But Jesus says, don't worry about it. We'll get, we'll get more to that, why Jesus can say that, even though he is holy and John isn't. Why he can say that. He's the comforter. He's the comforter. While we are unholy, his holiness, his, his, his wonder, he wants us to be in awe of him, but he wants us to be in awe in such a way that it draws us closer to him, doesn't send us into the fetal position and takes us away from him. He's our comforter. That shower was short-lived. <laughs> who, who, do what? You were just going to the bathroom? Okay. <laughs> I am, who else is this boss? I am the first and the last. He is the completer. He is the completer. He will finish what he started. This morning, uh, this morning, the boys, I, I was fixing breakfast or washing the dishes or something, and, the, and a couple of the boys were in another room, and all of a sudden I heard, I'm like, what are you doing? And then Noah goes, Josiah started it. What did I say? And I'm going to finish it, right? 
Jesus is the completer. He started creation. He started his kingdom. He started his salvation. And Revelation is showing us how he's going to finish it before he even finishes it. That's what Revelation is about. He is the completer. We don't have to be a college athlete that goes to college wondering if my coach that recruited me will be, still be here after the four years that I'll be here. Jesus will complete the task. Who else is the new boss? I'm the living one. I died, but look, I'm alive forever and ever. He's that boss that that has been there, done that, and got that t-shirt. And the t-shirt that Jesus has reads, was living, was dead, now lives forever. That's a bad boy t-shirt right there, right? You, you, if you've got that t-shirt, there is nothing you haven't done and there is nothing that you cannot do. You can do everything and you've got all power. He is the conqueror. He is the conqueror. This is the boss that we follow. Who else is he? And I hold the keys of death and the grave. Last week, we utilize the illustration of, of, of our sin traps us into our paradise hell. We think we're going into paradise, but, but really it's our paradise hell and we're trapped. And it, it, was, a, it was a mirage of, of this oasis. And, and, and Jesus, Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, he actually has the authority to get into any paradise hell. He doesn't come to the gate and scream out, hey, hey, come to me and follow me. He busts through the gate. He busts through the lock and walks in, but he doesn't do it over the of darkness and comes up and whispers to you and says, hey, 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 come on, let's get out of here before they see us. Look, the rest of Revelation 1 that we're not reading is a description of Jesus of why he can walk into your paradise hell in in, in broad daylight. He shows his guns as he's walking through and there ain't nobody that's going to do a thing about it. Nobody. He rescues you as a prisoner of war, walks you out, and all the while flexing his muscles, and nobody's going to do anything about it. Because he is all authority. All the demons cower in fear because of who he is. And he will rescue, rescue you out of any paradise hell. This is the boss. He's a comforter. He's the conqueror. He's the completer. He has all authority. He has every quality that we want in a boss to the perfect degree. Don't we want a boss like that that comforts, completes, conquers, and is authoritative? Don't we want a boss like that? He is that to the perfect degree. And he is the king of the world. With all due respect to Mr. DiCaprio, he is the king of the world. He was before him. And he's the CEO of his church. And from all time, when he first started pulling his people together as a people, as a gathering, he expected, he anticipated, and really he demanded of his people to have a culture such that those who do not believe yet can come and be a part of the people and kick the tires and test drive and see who Jesus is. And he has written into his word how we as a people form that culture so that 
We can worship, but we also expect those who do not have belief to be with us. See, all of us probably said this morning we are going to church. But that's really a misnomer. We don't go to church. We are their church. We, because we live in southwest Missouri, and actually our weather kind of proved it somewhat this morning. I mean, we get snow and sleet and hail and rain and wind, and that's one Sunday. And so we expect like there to be a covering, but that's not the church. That's the building that the church happens to gather in. And God expects and even demands of his people to have a culture that those who do not believe to be among, uh, to be among those who do believe. And so if you do not quite believe here this morning, we welcome you. We expected you to be here. Maybe not you as in you, but you as in what we would call a non-fan, saying, I'm not quite a fan of Jesus right now. I'm not a fan of the church, but I'm here checking it out. And for those of you that would say, I'm a non-fan this morning, you probably understand this sometimes even better than, than us who are fans, us who follow Jesus, that you expect us to be unique. To illustrate it one way is that when, I, when Nicole and I went up to central New York to, to, to plant a church, I had a conversation with a guy about church, and he said, yeah, 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 I used to go to church as a kid. My parents took me to church, but I stopped going. They took me to church, and they brought me home, and, and, then, and then I'd get abused through the week. It was no different. Good point, huh? See, non-fans at times look at the church and expect more of a different life than what we even expect. But how is the church different? How is the church different? Jesus tells us this. Revelation 1.5, starting in the last part of that verse. All glory to him who loves us. We're loved by God. Loved by God. But, but, but you might say, wait, wait, wait doesn't, doesn't Jesus say, for God so loved the world? Doesn't he love more than just his church? Yes, but let me illustrate it very simply and you'll get it immediately. Husbands, husbands, husbands. If you walk home tomorrow, walk home, march right into your home and announce, hey wife, I love the world just like I love you. What would happen? Her face would turn white and she'd ask you one question. Who are you sleeping with? <laughs> that love is more intimate. That love is more intimate. We're supposed to love the world, but, but we are supposed to love our bride more intimately than we love the world. And the same thing is true about his church, his bride. And he loves us unconditionally, no matter what. Even if we prostitute ourselves out to other gods, God will still love us. There's an Old Testament story that talks about just that. We're loved by God. Second of all, and he has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. We are freed from our sins by God. We're freed from our sins by God. This is, this is the imagery of coming out of our paradise hell, of, of, of Jesus leading us out and rescuing us out of our paradise hell, is that we are freed by God from our sins. And Jesus came and lived 30 some odd perfect years, sinless years on this earth to earn the purity that we were supposed to have. And being freed by God means that he gives us his purity that he earned. 
And the rest of this series really is taking a look at how do we live out the purity that is given us, not how do we live out earning our purity. Because earning our purity is legalism, which isn't purity. But how do we live out the purity that was given to us as a gift, earned by Jesus? We are freed by God, from God, or by God, not from God, by God, to God. Lastly, who are we? He has made us a kingdom of priests for, our God, for God his Father. Our glory and power to him forever and ever. He has made us a kingdom of priests. What does that mean? We have all an all-access pass to God. 24-7, all-access pass to God. This is the boss that has, that has a, uh, a, a, an open-door policy and means it. You can go into him at any given point in time. An all-access pass. But not only that, the idea of the priest as well isn't just that he has an all-access pass, but he has an all-access pass in such a way that he can also bring in people who do not have faith into the presence of God. Not in a salvific sort of way, but as a I-want-to-know-who-Jesus-is sort of way. To see who Jesus is. We, we, have, we have the ability and the responsibility to also show those who do not have faith And bring them in and give them a chance to see who Jesus is. See, the church isn't unique. If you notice this in every single one of them, the church isn't unique because of what we say we are or what we do. The church is unique because of how God created us to be. You notice it? We're loved by God. We are freed by God. We have all access to God because he allows us to have all access. It's what he's done, not what we've done. And when we have a new manager, when we have a new manager, the first one of the things that we also want to know is what's the benefit package of the new manager? Revelation 1.3. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all who listen to his message and obey what it says for the time is near. In, in our vernacular, how we, would, how we would say this would be this. Blessed are those who hear and follow Jesus. Blessed are those who hear and follow Jesus. Blessed means happy. And there are seven specific times that, that John writes, blessed are those who, blessed are those who, including blessed are those who keep their clothes on for they will not be naked. You should read the Bible. You'll just never know what you're going to read in there. But there's a blessing to hearing and following. And blessing means happy. Not a circumstantial happy, not a, not, a, not a happy that says everything is going good to me so therefore I'm happy and then stuff happens to me so therefore I'm sad. It is actually quite the opposite of that. It is a happy that says no matter what is going on in my life, I am blessed and I can be happy. Why? Because I'm loved by God, I'm freed by God and I have all access to him. That's all the blessing that I need. And isn't that all the blessing that we really want to know deep down in our heart is that we are loved by God, we're freed by God, and we have all access to Him? Even those of you that might consider yourself far away from God, isn't that really deep down what you would really like to have? An all-access pass because He freed you, because He loved you, 
See, the reason why the church is not unique because we're, we've made ourselves this way is, is because when we come to Jesus, when Jesus finds us in our paradise hell, we are like the bride that is beaten and bloody and messed up. We've been used and abused and thrown aside. And when Jesus finds us, we're like this. But Jesus takes us out of our paradise hell and cleans us up and he makes us the beautiful bride. That's what Jesus does. That's what grace is. And that's the blessing, is that he turns us from a beaten, broken bride to a beautiful bride. For those of you that are non-fans this morning and just checking this thing out, I ask you, do you, are you ready to follow the boss into a life that changes you from beaten and broken and, and, and in need of healing to healed and beautiful? We're going to have people around to pray with you, not to yell at you, not to say shame on you for being in a paradise hell because we've all been freed by God. Every single one of us. We simply want to introduce you to the one who will free you. And for the rest of us, here's your homework this week. See, the deal around all of this is, is, is this. We do not make ourselves strong. That's not the goal. We cannot make ourselves strong. We are weak. So therefore, it is about our dependency upon him. Our dependency upon God. Are we dependent upon God for everything? And your homework this week is to pray this each and every week. Or each and every day. God, show me what it means to be dependent upon you. Show me what it means to be dependent upon you. And then get your big boy pants on because it'll be simple, but it won't be easy. That's what we're going to be looking at the rest of this series. What does it mean to be completely dependent upon God for our life? Next week, going to be pretty tough. We're going to ask you to get rid of and, and let go of all the religious, religious ideas that you have about other people. It's going to be tough. But there will be a blessing with hearing and following him and being completely dependent upon him. And as the band plays, be praying, God, show me what it means to be completely dependent upon you. Let's pray. Anyway, Father, Lord, I thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, that you will um, show us what it means to live a pure life, a life that is following you, and there's a blessing to that, but, but, uh, uh, and, and then a life that is not legalistic, that, that, that brings other people to you and shows them that, it's, that it is your gift. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit sends your heart to people to, to accept that gift of purity, that we just simply are following you. We can't, we can't claim anything about that. It is you that brings us into healing. Pray, Lord, that you will show us and guide us in that. Drive us to you. Make us dependent completely on you for everything. In your name we pray. Amen.